0: good morning good evening good afternoon wherever you're joining us from around the world welcome back to creation conversations where we are minus craig who is out looking for some fossils uh, in one of the the big uh, fossil shows in hobart but we do have the rest of the team here so welcome welcome to everybody it's good to see a good number of people tuning in already. Uh, We've got John and Diane who are still uh, in one place together, which is excellent. We've got Glenn from the US and we've got Sam from uh, the UK and of course myself. But John and Diane, how are you doing? I'm sure you've got some updates for us about what you've been doing later, but uh, I know you've been pretty busy.
1: Diane, what have we been doing? We've been setting up our new museum. It's been really exciting. (laughs) in a hundred percent
2: humidity, it's raining outside and almost yes. raining inside. So it's been pretty, pretty hot weather over here and pretty humid. But you see, the reality is when people argue climate change, man induced I'm old enough to remember when it's been like this three or four times in my whole history. And always you'd take precautions that you drove out into the bush either to take water because there'd be none out there or to take flotation devices I used to own a car by the way that would float for that particular reason it had all big you know balloon things around the side so it's it's not new it's happened before and it's liable to happen again but the first time it happened was Noah's flood
0: Indeed, indeed. Great stuff. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing some updates uh, from you later, and I'm looking forward to seeing it in person at some point in the future. It's been a while since I've been out to Australia, and I know that Jurassic Ark has come along massively since then, and I look forward to seeing the uh, the new museum project.
3: Glenn, how are you doing over in the States? I'm doing great. Um, I'm glad you guys joined me an hour late. <laughs> um, <laughs> for yes. those that don't know, time change got me and I came online an hour ago because my phone said it was time. Yeah. Um, doing great. Had a good week. Got to go out doing some fossil digs and, uh, had a great time. Whenever it's time for my, um, update, I can tell you more about yeah, it.
0: Absolutely. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, good stuff. Good stuff. How are you doing, Sam? How's your week been? Well, my week has been all
4: right. It's been, um, good. fairly, um, quiet this week has been fairly quiet which is always good always good um but yeah so um i'm plowing on with my bible journey which is really good i'm almost almost at the end of leviticus almost i'm almost there (laughs) i was dreading leviticus and um but yeah it's it's fine actually yeah it's a lot of um yeah don't do this don't do that and um you'll be fine um
0: In fact, as Sam, we were discussing a little bit earlier in the week about maybe even doing a creation conversations about, well, which which part of the Old Testament do we, Mm. A, need to pay attention to, but when it comes to the law, which of them do we need to keep, which of them don't we need to keep, all that kind of stuff, and why Mm. are even some of these laws there in the first place? So I think that would be a great uh, program to do at some point in the future. But, yeah, it's it's tough going, Leviticus. (laughs) Yeah. In fact, Sam, just to make
2: it personal here, um, how's your pussycat? There are thousands of viewers waiting for a report, an update on your pussycat. Uh,
4: the cat is fine. Um, he's back home from the vet. He's recovered. Um, he's come back with less fur than he went in with because they had to shave him in certain parts to <laughs> put in um, IVs and catheters and things like that. But um, he's otherwise, he's fine. He's back to his normal health. In fact, actually, he's back to normal health. Um, well, that's
2: really good because I got some medical advice free of charge from Dr. Joseph there um, because my dog uh, who lost it's, you know, sort of mother brother uh, of old age a few weeks back is still moping. You know, you get up in the morning, go to welcome and he puts his head down and and moans and groans and wants heaps of attention. And Joseph, the typical English, Joseph, uh, he said to me, what you ought to do is get it a rabbit. Rabbits are great therapy pets for dogs. Diane, what's the problem with that advice here in Australia, in Queensland? Well,
1: in, in Australia, rabbits are actually vermin. Yeah. <laughs> they, they are an imported nuisance. Now, they're not quite as revolting as cane toads, but they really are a nuisance. But in addition,
2: <laughs> I would get a visit from the actual animal police if I, if I yes. had a rabbit because, mm. you know, you have one rabbit in six months, you've got 30 of them. So uh, they are regarded in Australia as not only a menace, not only as a health hazard for many animals, but they're actually illegal in my home state. So sorry, Dr. Joe, that's beautiful advice in England. We have those lovely big furry that <laughs> can hold and cattle, but not here in Australia.
0: Uh, good stuff. Yeah, it's um, one thing you might notice doing this stream is that um, it's about the time of year when I get absolutely plagued with all forms of allergies. So apologies if I keep muting myself <laughs> to blow my nose, but I am um, I am drugged up on antihistamines and um, last time I sort of seriously took serious antihistamines was when I was in Australia and John knows this very well it sent me to sleep and I was due to preach that morning so, so <laughs> hopefully i'm I'm awake enough to be able to do stuff yeah. this evening i, I, I was
4: yeah. just about to say I hope it's not the I hope it's the non-drowsy kind of yes. the antihistamines, I don't we know what, be halfway through and just have a uh
0: yeah, yeah I don't know what it's like it was um we were in the blue mountains and uh. This uh, the, the the pastor of the church that we were visiting and we were staying with was like, oh, I've got some antihistamines that you can take, right? Because I've had a, had an allergy and allergic reaction, and he gave them to me. Boy, I don't know what was in them, but they they knock you. They knock you out. But uh, yeah, no, it's really good to, to be here. We've got some exciting updates and stuff uh, and a, a couple of programs to talk about today. Uh, but obviously, the main thing is the Q&A. It's the question and answer. So do get those questions in as we are going forward. We have a list of questions here from uh, previous streams which we can deal with and we will deal with many of them. But we do like some live questions as well. So get some questions in as we go. And thank you for those who've already sent stuff in. Let's go around and do our uh, sort of uh, ministry updates uh, and uh, little presentations and stuff like that. John and Diane, why don't you kick us off with uh, your PowerPoint over here? Okay, we'll do that in a moment. We've got a a little bit of
2: live stuff here because Diane and I have had some interesting learning times. We actually... Uh, sent you a little video which you can play on another program but in reality we decided in our museum display we would put up an IQ test so we bought two lego kits of exactly the same model and we have constructed one and left the other in pieces and of course the question is very simple how long would it take the unassembled one to assemble itself into the well, it was a dinosaur, wasn't it, it Diane? Was indeed, yes, indeed. In fact, would you hold up the box yes, so the viewers can is. actually see the box mm-hmm. that we bought? There we go. And Lego mm-hmm. does wonderful stuff as usual. So um, the free commercial for Lego here. Yeah. Can, can you see the name of the box? The... Creator. Now that's important. Mm-hmm. Don't you put the box yeah, out of the road yeah. because it's hiding you. Um, but of course, the interesting thing was uh, Diane went out to that kitchen in our new building. We'll tell you more about that in a moment. And I went out 10 minutes later, and the pieces are all over the table. I went out an hour later, and half the pieces are all over the table. I went out two hours later, basically, and she's just getting to the finishing point. So I turned and I said to, Diane, how come you're taking so long? And you said, I'm not
1: 10 years old.
2: (laughs) You see, the 10-year-old kids are so good at finding these little pieces and putting them together. They would take the unassembled Lego and using their brains and using their experience and their very tactile fingers, they would put it together in probably only 10 minutes. But you see, that's not the point. The point is, it would never assemble itself. Neither would a bunch of hydrogen and carbon. Oh, you see, that's what the blocks are made of. Plastic, hydrogen, carbon, oxygen, etc. that don't have the property of self-assembly. Now, Diane, how long would it take Mm -hmm. those blocks to assemble themselves into a dinosaur?
1: Oh, never happened.
2: In fact, hold up the lid again because see if you can spot something on mm-hmm. Diane's spare lid here. Not as it Lego. Ha- look, there's a number on the top right hand side, I think, as you can mm-hmm. see it. Yeah. So take it the other way. You can't see that there. There we are. Okay. In fact, Diane, what's it unique about this box?
1: And what's unique? Yeah, I mean I what's that three in one? <laughs> what's three what's in, all... three in one? Well, actually, I need to turn it around for that, because with this same collection of um, plastic pieces, you could make three different dinosaurs. Now, we chose to make two T-Rex. Now, that's important. We chose to do that. But with those same components, you could have made either one of these three.
2: In in other words, you can use hydrogen and carbon and oxygen to make a mouse, or you can make a human, because (laughs) in essence, the ingredients are the same. It's the intelligence that goes into it that makes them different. And in fact, time is not one of them, right? The smarter you are, the faster the Lego gets done. Did you catch that, Diane? Those 10 year old kids, they don't need time. They have a experience level. That's, I mean, it's a long time mm. since you've played with Lego, let's be honest. It right? is a
0: while.
1: But it's... it
2: makes a great point in a museum display in which mm. we'll have it right next to our actual dinosaur bones. In fact, Joe, mm. if you can bring up the PowerPoint now, that'd be great, Diane, if you can find it here on our machine. There we are. Let's make sure we get this. That's it. Okay. Now let's see if that goes. Yep. No, it didn't go at all. What are we doing wrong?
3: Okay. There we
2: are. That should go now. You'll see our new logo there designed by Sam. Brilliant work, Sam. Didn't happen by itself. Um, You'll see our new museum building. Now this is the one that I mean at Creation Research, we do not separate Christianity from what we're doing. We've been praying for a building, right slap bank, in the middle of the tourist triangle. And that's where we ended up getting one free, rent-free. On Sunday afternoon, we will be actually having our first come along and, and get inspired meeting. It's in Success Street. What a what a good name, Diane. What a, wonderful what a name. good name. Yes, Knowing definitely. Success Street yeah. over in Acacia Ridge. And you see the main motorway there, M7 the old main motorway, Bow Desert Road, it couldn't be more central if we'd, we'd have tried. Mm-hmm. But the Lord tried and it and, and, and really did well for us. It's rent-free. Unbelievable provision for us. So those of you Christians, pray for us uh, on Sunday afternoon because it's now booked out. Sorry if you're wanting to book in today. It's now booked out with a couple of people who are going to have to stand up, namely me and you, Diane, because mm-hmm. we'll be out the front for much of it. But we thought we'd take another opportunity to tell you some about the fossils as well as one of the men who's given them to us. You'll see Gary Waterson there. He and I spent Tuesday uh, going around. No, it must have been Wednesday, must not it? Getting a velociraptor for the uh, new display. But here he is with Joe Taylor. Um, This is uh, back in 2018 or 19, if I remember correctly. And he was bringing us a beautiful fossil that he found himself, a giant salamander. And we were putting it on its display board and its size. Well, you'll see the fossil giant salamander. You'll see the Chinese salamander there, and you'll see the average human right now. Notice how big they used to be. I'll tell you what, most modern salamanders, you can hold them in your hand. You find that salamanders beyond a shadow of a doubt, no matter how big they were or how small they are today, have not only produced their own kind, most of them have gone downhill in size now joe did a wonderful job at our uh, open day at jurassic ark there a few years ago and he informed the people that this salamander he personally dug up out of the red beds of texas and these go across texas across europe across india and across russia and joe is personally convinced not only did the salamander drown but these are part of the evidence of noah's flood And he loves to make the point that we make. It's not the evidence which contradicts the word of God, but the opinions of men. Now, that was quite a few years ago. Joe died a couple of weeks ago. I'm I'm sure he's getting much more direct answers. Noah, how did you fit those animals on the ark? Noah, why did you take tarantulas? All those sort of things. Actually, I think they'll be more importantly talking to Jesus about his word. Well, here's Gary again And uh, Gary and I not only took the new Velociraptor to the museum, but we took the salamander as well. So it'll be part of our display in this box. And for those of you in Australia or around the world, please support our newest creation museum. We have one in England. We have one in Tasmania. And this is a new creation discovery center. And yes, we can do with all the financial help that we can get. Oh, you see, there's one of the Velociraptors there. Uh, There's Daryl in the front. There's Clem in the back. There's Jimmy. Uh, some of our helpers and workers there. And this is, again, I mean, look at the guy with the hat on. That's the ordinary velociraptor you see in the movies. The still Steven Spielberg. You can come and see him. He's still there at Jurassic Park. The bushes have grown up a fair bit. Darryl's got a little bit older. Uh, older. And Clem? Well, Clem is still busily working on some of the most abstract things that you could come across. That's true, isn't it, Diane? He's a bright boy on two legs, our Clem. Mm -hmm. There's Diane and not only with two legs, but sitting comfortably on a chair with what? Well, it's a velociraptor, but it's done as a kid's toy. Now, the funny thing was the one in the park in Jurassic Arc uh, is actually the standard model. It's actually the size that you read about on Twitter. It's actually the shape that you see that Steven Spielberg came up. <clears throat> this one here, that's much closer to the original real size of a velociraptor. It was about the size of an overgrown turkey, not the terrible monster. It's based on this fossil. Oh, do you notice something about the fossil? You're right. There's not a single trace of any feathers. And the expert who cast this fossil has actually admitted that to us. There's no fossils that he's ever seen that have feathers so when you read on twitter steven spielberg actually took the original velociraptor and stripped the feathers off to make this nasty monster i talk about fabrication on fabrication there's the original one and there's no doubt about it he drowned oh do you see his tail going up uh, uh, onto his head Do you see his head there now that's the classic drowning pose um, that you get from dinosaurs and in fact any reptile that's got a tail and when it drowns it will get a, a death reaction its head goes back and its tail flips over as its muscles are uh, tense here's another one in jurassic Arc. drowned for sure uh, that's another one out of the texas beds as well i'll tell you what um there's my young granddaughter holding the skull you know, full size obdurate to Velociraptor. It's an overgrown turkey. I mean, you know how you, you catch a fish and you get in the newspaper, you hold the fish way out in front of you. Uh, it looks a little exaggerated there, but the original Velociraptor skeleton is not much bigger than a chicken or a turkey. Oh, but beware, it's evolving lately. The Twitter model, the con- Twitter concept, the person who wrote in said, Stevens Milburg stripped the feathers off. There's the model. I mean, I took that picture last Friday, um, uh, uh, sorry, last Wednesday at one of the casting places. You see, the most popular request they're getting these days is for Velociraptor with feathers. But not only did Joe Taylor know some of the experts on dinosaurs and feathers, he'd actually checked himself and so have we. In fact, the casting agents tell us there isn't a single fossil of Velociraptor they've ever found with feathers. And that might be a good uh, part for a question coming up in our Q&A. So can I encourage you? Visit Jurassic Ark in Australia. And in fact, I'd encourage you to go one step further, visit our new museum, but not this Sunday afternoon because you have to book in and everybody who booked in has been sent the directions to how to get there, where to park, etc. whether you're going east or west or all those sort of things you need to add to your GPS. Uh, but pray for us as we open this new museum. Pray for Craig as he explores the uh, Gem Fest today and has a look for new specimens. And come and visit us at Jurassic Ark, particularly in these hot days. You can get cool, or the trees are automatically air conditioned, aren't they, Diane? Oh, beautiful! Sitting under the trees, yes. they are much mm. cooler, ten degrees cooler than the actual outside mm. heat. Well, you want to donate? There's a way you can donate to Australia just using pay id bank pay id just use our phone number with a plus six one on it It goes straight into the creation research account and helps us pay even though our building is free we certainly have incredible expenses uh, for what we are doing all right let's just uh, go back to our main one diane here and
0: uh chrome
2: Chrome, there we are
0: great stuff
2: right there we we will get back soon that's all (laughs) right there we are good
0: good stuff excellent yeah really exciting developments that uh, are going on all around the world so continue to pray for the museum ministries as well as all of the other research projects that we have going on and particularly we think about uh, craig who is off at a big um fossil show seeing what um he can find there so hopefully we'll have some uh, fairly decent uh, uh, fairly decent results from there at some point soon. Great stuff. Um, Glenn, do you have a, a an update?
3: Yes, I got to um, take a homeschool group out, do a fossil dig. wanted to take them out to uh, where Joseph, where you and John took me mm-hmm. to look at the polystrate trees. Um, <coughs> it's interesting, the, the one family, you know, only one family ended up going, but they were Nine of us all together, so they had seven of them. Uh the the guy that went with us, it was his family. We get out there, he goes, You know the story of my you know coming here. I said, No. He said, You know, we were living in Texas, and I have just been telling my family, I've he studied geology for two years. He says, I'm so into creation, I I want to meet a creation scientist. He said, I came here to tennessee for my dad's funeral and the pastor that did the funeral service invited me to his church but he said but the only thing is we're going to have a creation speaker this sunday at the church so that's how we connected and we went out and uh, did a fossil dig. again it was great he and his family got to see the evidences um that this was all these materials these millions of years a deposition happened all at one time because there are these very large uh, polystrate trees that go through, you know, 15 feet, millions of years of, of, quote, evolutionary thinking of deposition. And uh, it was great digging fossils around there for all of his family, his kids, his wife, they all found fossils and he couldn't find any. And right at the end, I said, well, let's go over to this one other area. And he just started finding fossils after fossils after fossils. He was so hooked. He didn't want to leave. Uh, It was snowing and it was temperatures in the 20s and we didn't (laughs) move away from there. So we we had a great outing. And now he's hooked. He's ready to get more and more involved. So it's really great.
0: Yeah, great stuff. Fantastic. Well, um, I've got one uh, brief update slash uh, mini section to to talk about before we dive into a load of questions. And it's great to see so many people joining us. And it's great to see so many questions coming in, which is fabulous. So um, I just suddenly realized today, because it's not really on our radar over here as as Brits, um, is that it's actually St. Patrick's Day today. Um, It's not particularly on our radar in, in 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 england anyway um it's probably more on the radar over in ireland and it's certainly on a massive scale over in the states uh of course you know dressing green green beer all that kind of stuff but i thought uh, as we've done st patrick before for a uh, other presentations i thought i'd bring uh, a few interesting things about who st patrick actually was and it was actually originally part of a um, program we did on slavery and race, right? And talking about racism, talking about slavery, particularly linking back to the transatlantic slave trade and stuff like that, and getting some of the facts about that and getting it all into a biblical perspective. And one of the points we made, we took two uh, people from the past, St. Patrick, and John Knox, both of who were great men of God, both of who um, were really uh, big evangelists, but both of who had been taken into slavery and used that slavery to their advantage, right, Uh, uh, in spreading the gospel. So we thought we'd um, just touch on St. Patrick uh, for the moment and have a look at some of his life and some of the interesting things about him, particularly because earlier I was uh, flicking through Facebook, as one does, and I came across a number of posts by you could call them sort of uh, British Israelite or Hebrew Roots Movement type people who were claiming that St. Patrick is actually of Jewish descent and that he wouldn't have anything to do with that pagan idea of the Trinity uh, and that he was preaching the Torah Right. These are the claims. And they had a whole list of stuff, which I thought, well, probably is worth digging a little bit deeper and seeing what we can actually attribute to St. Patrick and finding out what we can actually, um, you know, know about him and find out about him. So let's bring up some PowerPoints here for the moment. There we go. Who actually was Saint Patrick? Well, this is uh, the the main image that we have of Saint Patrick, depicted in stained glass. He probably never looked like this. This is a much later sort of Catholic-inspired depiction of Saint Patrick, and you can see there he's holding the shamrock, all right, the uh, the 3 leafed clover. And it's often attributed um, to Patrick, or, uh, Patrick rather, uh, the shamrock, right, the 3 leafed clover, as regards to him talking about the Trinity. Now, it is true there is no evidence that he ever used the, the the clover, the shamrock, right, in discussions of the Trinity. That's a much, much later attribution, right? It's also true that Patrick predates essentially things like the Nicene Creed, right, where things like the doctrine of the Trinity became probably more formally established. But as we were talking about with John and the rest of the team earlier, just because something isn't formally established doesn't mean it isn't truth. The reason it needed to become formally established is because people had actually strayed from the truth, so we need to actually write down and firmly establish, right, in in written doctrine what Christians believe. So what can we actually learn about St. Patrick? Well, is there any chance that he came from Judea, sort of the the, the area of the Jews, right? Well, what you can see is actually a map of the Roman Empire. Now, this is important because everybody who is within the Roman Empire, particularly those who are citizens of Rome, and that can be anybody uh, who's free, basically, within the Roman Empire, could travel freely throughout the Roman Empire. So, The fact that you've got, you can see over here, uh, you've got Britannia, right? Uh, Up there near Carlisle is where um, we know St. Patrick was when he got captured by pirates and taken to Ireland. And right over here on the other side of the map, you've got Judea. So it is both within the Roman Empire. So there is a... um, a possibility, if you like to put it that way, that although there is a, 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 a an option right for Saint Patrick to have travelled from Judea over to Britannia, or at least from the line of the Jews, the problem is is that there really isn't any evidence of this. You see, if you go to somewhere like Eboracum, which is modern-day York, right, you can find skeletons of people who've come from Babylonia, skeletons of people who've come from modern-day Sudan area, south of Egypt, and you've got people who come from modern day Libya. So very dark-skinned people, people from all over the Roman Empire are found way up there in Eberacum. So there is a possibility. The issue is that there really is no evidence for it whatsoever. So who actually is St. Patrick and what can we find out about him? What do we know about him for sure? Well, let's uh, use his own words here. This is what he said in his declaration. So he was accused um, by a, a group of bishops from the continent, sort of the precursors to the Catholic Church, of really being a um, not quite a heretic, but certainly they, they claim that he, he wasn't doing enough for the organized church. And this is what he said in his declaration. I, Patrick, a sinner, am the most uncultivated man, am the least of all the faithful, and I am greatly despised by many. Well, he seems like a pleasant chap, but then you got to remember what is, you know, who else said something very similar to this? The Apostle Paul, right? He called himself the chief of sinners. There is certainly a humility about this man. So, who was St. Patrick? Well, as far as we can tell, he was born sometime in the 5th century in Roman Britain, uh, likely around Carlisle. So there you have the British Isles as it stands today. You can see you've got Scotland up in the top, you've got England, Wales, and then you've got Ireland. And Ireland is split into Northern Ireland, which is part of the United Kingdom, and the Republic of Ireland, or Southern Ireland, which is part of the British Isles. Um, There's England, there's Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, and the Republic of Ireland. Of course, it looked slightly different politically at the time of the Roman Empire. There's where uh, modern-day Carlisle is, which is where Patrick came from. This is what Roman Britannia looked like in... Patrick's Day. And you've actually, you can see it's really actually split into two parts. You've got um, the the orange and you've got the green. The green represents the Celtic areas. The orange represents the place which had been taken over by Rome. So down here, you've got Britannia, right, as part of where the Roman Empire was. Up in the north, you've got modern-day Scotland, which is where the Picts lived, the Celtic Picts. And over here, you've got modern-day Ireland, which of course is split into northern and Republic, and that's where the Scots came from. So yes, it's kind of switched around, right? You've got the Scots living in Ireland, you've got the Picts living in modern-day Scotland. It's slightly mixed up, but this is the picture of what it was like at the time that Pat St. Patrick was alive. And this is what he continued to say in the declaration. He said, I was taken captive at 16 years of age. I did not indeed know the true God, and I was taken into captivity in Ireland with many thousands of people. So who was St. Patrick? Well, not only was he born in Roman Britain, he was taken captive during a Scot raid, right? That's the Irish who'd come over along with many others. And he said that there the Lord opened my mind to an awareness of my unbelief in order that even so late, I might remember my transgressions and turn with all my heart to the Lord, my God. Ah, you see, despite captivity and enslavement, he became a Christian through Christ's calling. Don't be surprised when God actually does a work in somebody from circumstances that seem to have nothing to do with anything that's good, nothing to do with anything that's godly. In fact, uh, John, John Mackay here today is a testament to that in the fact that he became a Christian through God's calling after reading through the Bible, which started by reading a book by an atheist. It's amazing how God can work, and maybe John can comment on that at the end of it. So St. Patrick is taken as a slave to Ireland, where he receives Christ's calling, he realizes his sin in the midst of slavery, and he becomes a Christian. And eventually he returns back to England, and then he returns back to Ireland as a missionary this time. Never before did they know God, he's speaking of the Picts at this point, the Irish, right? Uh, Sorry, the Scots, rather, the Irish. Never before did they know of God except to serve idols and unclean things. But now they have become the people of the Lord and are called the children of God. He was a missionary. He took the gospel to Ireland. He took the gospel to the Scots. And the remarkable thing about this is... um, if you, you you find that there's lots and lots of evidence that the gospel was in Britannia during the Roman Empire, even slightly before St. Patrick. And there's a fabulous little article by Bill Cooper which talks about the early writing of the gospel and the early gospel here in Britannia in what is now the United Kingdom. So it's fascinating stuff when you dig down into it a little bit. So he returned to Ireland as a missionary. He claimed that his captivity and enslavement was God's plan for bringing the gospel to the Irish. And he ended up establishing churches, he trained leaders, and he set up schools. So he was somebody who discipled as well as taught. What was his message? Well, this is what he actually wrote. I mean, I wonder if you can recognize where he got some of this information from. For there is no other God, he said, nor ever was before, nor shall be hereafter, but God the Father, unbegotten and without beginning, in whom all things began, whose are all things, as we have been taught. And his Son, Jesus Christ, who manifestly always existed with the Father, before the beginning of time, in the Spirit with the Father, indescribably begotten before all things and all things visible and invisible were made by him. I mean, this sounds a bit like John 1. It sounds a bit like Hebrews 1. It sounds a bit like Colossians 1. Ah, it's, uh, he really is basing this on the Bible. He was made man, this is speaking of Jesus, conquered death and was received into heaven to the Father, who gave him all power over every name in heaven and on earth and in hell, so that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and God, in whom we believe." Ah, good message. Good man. Patrick on the Trinity, yes, although the shamrock seems to have been a much later sort of myth attributed to uh, St. Patrick, there's no evidence that he had anything to do with with shamrocks. And we can talk a bit later about some of the other stories to do with Patrick, right? like driving snakes out of Ireland and stuff like that. But let's actually look at what Patrick himself said on the Trinity. This is on a, a document known as St. Patrick's Breastplate, which is, traced back to being attributed to St. Patrick. He says this, I bind to myself today the strong virtue of the invocation of the Trinity. I believe the Trinity in the unity, the creator of the universe. And it goes on um, the breastplate to talk about God's power seen in nature, God's power seen in the things that he does, and how St. Patrick wants to have this intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, which he does so through the Spirit. So you can see you've got this doctrine of the Trinity even predating things like the Nicene Creed, simply because It's truth. It's taught all throughout scripture, and it was understood by people like St. Patrick even before it became what you might refer to as formal doctrine, and the only reason it needed to become formal doctrine is because people had strayed so far from the truth in the beginning. So there, a little bit of an interesting uh, look at St. Patrick, some of the things that we actually know about him um, based on old and historical documentation um, as opposed to some of the more sort of either Catholic or, uh, you know, Certainly, there's there's a lot of odd Hebrew roots, uh, British Israelite type of stuff that goes on out there nowadays. But this is a a really fascinating insight into the man, St. Patrick, and what he actually did. Um, John, over to you for some comments. Well, just
2: just a couple of comments. It's sort of uh, sad that the Irish, particularly originally and now the Americans, used a godly, saintly man who brought the gospel to them as a really good excuse for green beer and drunkenness but it brought to mind another saint patrick from australia who went to ireland because i preached for him in his irish church there he originally was in ireland came to australia became a christian so instead of doing his traditional drunken you know behavior that got him into trouble that put him in jail where he heard the gospel when he got out he went back to ireland went to Cork, set up a church and began the process, first of all, of leading his own family to Christ. Now, I remember preaching on the Noah's flood at his church as it rained and rained and the river got higher and higher till the water was right up to the top step of the door of the church. And I said, good, you can't leave. (laughs) (laughs) And we had a great service that night. But you see that young man who went to Ireland to preach the gospel like St. Patrick had been a drunkard himself preaching to a drunk group of families and they'd become Christians, most of them, right? Now, that's what St. Patrick did, Bought the real gospel and it changed lives. So when you're talking about St. Patrick's Day, don't remember the green beer, don't get the hangovers, get to know Christ who alone is the creator and the member of the triune Godhead, just like St. Pat believed, like I believe, and certainly it's the word of God that matters, not the name of the man to justify the. The Bacchanalia of
0: the day. No, great stuff. Great stuff. Well, uh, it's probably time, unless anybody else has got any. Um... Any uh, any comments? I think it's probably worth diving into first and foremost some thank yous, but then really going into some uh, questions and answers, which is of course the main uh, bulk of tonight. We've got uh, just over just over an hour and twenty minutes or so to deal with Q and A and stuff. So um, Sam, it's Jay, going to be...
2: Jay, can I make one more request? Of After course. After Sam's given thank yous, I can see a discussion occurring that I want to bang on the head um because we've dealt with it before and it needs to be firmly stated is this the uh,
0: discussion of the, like the origin of evil stuff yes yes, yes. we'll so go into that yeah to we'll definitely it. go into that in a moment i think it comes down back down to this idea of what actually is evil but anyway um right. sam over to you for some thank yous and then over to john for evil well no that sounds wrong but anyway <laughs> <laughs>
4: All right, then. Uh, well, we've got a super sticker coming in from Doki Doki. Five U.S. Uh, US Buckaroo a hippo character with stars growing in his eyes, pumping his arms in the air with the word <laughs> hype pulsating above him. Um, for those who are uninitiated, uh, we can't see the super stickers. Uh, we only get the text version of the, basically the alternative text of what that is. Uh, yeah. So we have to use our imaginations. Um, but, yes, I think think but oh no no i've i've missed another doki sneaky doki coming in with 199 us buckaroos a thumbs up there we go oh, so. there we go isn't that look ah see Take again co- go back to the live chat and doki's just spamming them out two us buckaroos hands doing a fist bump Ooh. Ooh, there we go <laughs> right okay john uh sh- over to you that's the thank yous done Shall okay we bonk this on the head
2: i can see the discussion about did god create evil now number one you need to understand god in christ is the creator of all things and all things reflect him all things go back to him all things are made by him and all things are judged by him now that last point is the one that many of the people on on the the uh, chat are re- really messing up big time okay number one if god created all things did he is he the author of evil well he's the author of the definition so you need to know what evil is it's not actually a thing it's a line that god draws in the sand and said to adam and eve this far you'll go don't eat the fruit now He never told them not to touch it right that's what eve said that's not what god said they could have touched it, handled biologically classified it figured out what contents it had as long as they did not eat it now what right did god have to tell them hey i've made 30 million trees but there's one of them you will not eat that fruit The answer always remains the same. It's his tree. What right do you have to do anything with it? You see, mankind hates one thought. We are created beings. We are not the creators of anything in the universe. We may be sub-creators. I can take fruit and turn it into a dessert. I can take fruit and turn it into juice, but we didn't create the fruit. You find that when we, we have to come to grips with that, we don't like it because our sin nature wants God out of the road so we can do what we like. But we can't get rid of God. He is the absolute creator, and he has the right to tell us when we are wrong. Eve, you'll not cross this line. Now, did he do it for his sake? Actually, the benefit of drawing a line to tell you where it's evil, uh, where you've crossed the line, which is evil, that's the meaning of the word itself, is to protect you. Because you eat of that fruit, then the penalty is as follows. What right does God have to make that the penalty? A, he created all things. That gives him absolute right to define good, absolute right to define where the line is that you can't cross. Now, that's what we hate because our sinners want God out of the road, as I've said. We want the right to define evil. So when we got a big package from Amazon, it was covered with rainbow tape. Amazing, wasn't it, Diane? (laughs) Rainbow tape. What are they saying? I've got the right to be any gender I like. I've got the right to cross the line. But in reality, their rainbow tape had six colors on it. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Look at the real rainbow. It's got seven, seven colors. There we are uh, on, on the rainbow. And sin is always short. It always falls short of God's glory. Number six is the number of man. Number seven is God's number. So if you want to know what the six colored rainbow is about, it's about man wanting to be God and have absolute right. It sounds simple and it is because the problem occurring with all the people from both sides on this debate on the chat line is you must come to grips with the fact that God has the right to tell you what's wrong. Where do you get it from? He made all things. And one day, whether you can find that the logic in this or not in your human, humble, puny brains, really, you will find that. Well, even Dawkins will be on his knees admitting that Jesus Christ is Lord, having spent all his life denying it. He'll turn out to be a false prophet for for the sake of the atheists and evil. I hate to say it, but that's an awful place he's going to end up in. He could regroup his his troops now and head back towards Jesus Christ as Savior. But to do that, he has to go back inside the lines that God alone has the right to draw. Now, to, to finish this conversation, you see, you guys need to come to grips with the fact that God is, God is the creator, and everything you think, must be based on his 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 position and that's why he gave you his word and that's why you're arguing about whether it's in english or hebrew or whatever you're arguing to try and avoid what it says in fact i have to laugh many people like some of the older translations i have to remind them they like those translations because they can't understand it (laughs) the first translations in english were put so the ordinary person out in the field can understand it god wants you to understand what he says so go and check it Go by his definitions not by silly philosophical definitions of what is or isn't evil i think that's probably enough at the moment uh, joe and joe's
4: great on, oh, on. the um
0: sorry yes <laughs> yeah great stuff thanks for that john um yeah uh, sam over to questions Let's all right
4: well, i got to do a sneaky thank you for of course. bond coming in with uh, 20 aussie buckaroos thanks for the info from last night john There you go. Uh, Right. Okay. So, first question coming up. uh, This one comes in from Hermano Pepe. Hermano Pepe? I don't know. I have to spell that. So maybe someone else can enlighten me. How did the hippopotamus? What is going on with my
0: words today? Goodness me! How
4: did the hippopotamus get to South America?
0: Um, Pablo Escobar, I think. i'm being serious i think they're they're not native to south america i'm pretty sure i don't think there's any um fossils of hippopotamus there either but i do know that there's about 70 living in colombia um because pablo escobar kept them as pets and that's always a dangerous thing to do because i'm pretty sure that they escaped there's now something like just under 100 living sort of feral in in, in colombia we had similar issues with um asian deer in the uk there was uh so chinese water deer and uh, munch which are both sort of um chinese asian uh small deer and i think one of them was in uh one of them was in um uh Wh- whipsnade and one of them was in um longleat uh safari parks in sort of like the the, the 1930s, 1940s, and they escaped, and now we have loads of Chinese water deer and munchjack everywhere. As far as I'm aware, I'll need to double-check, but I'm pretty sure it's it's Pablo Escobar in uh, South America. In other so, words, they got the, taken the, there.
2: The, the, <laughs> we the other good example in England is the Isle of Man, which is separated from both England yeah, and Ireland. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
2: Um, if you go there, right on the northern tip, you'll see John Mackay's signature, if it survived all the waves and other tourists, I built a stone model of a kangaroo or a wallaby, right? Yeah, the reason yeah. is I was shocked to find wallabies almost native up in the hills, of the Isle of Man yeah. for a similar reason. One of the fences fell down on a private estate and the wallabies got out and now they're, they're essentially native. Yeah. Um, yeah so when, when you look at the distribution that. of animals, don't forget the human factor. That has shipped so many
0: around, but then that's how they got in the first place. Yeah. Humans back to ship them around, and we've got uh, we've got parakeets and stuff living in London and so on and so forth as well. So yeah.
3: we have the same in in America, in Louisiana, where I'm from, the swamps of Louisiana. You were just overrun with nutra rats, nutra rats look like rats, but they're swamp rats. Then yeah. their body will be you know, this big with a tail equally that size. Yeah. They were brought over by one family, had them in cages till a hurricane. Yeah. Yeah. Out in the swamp. yeah. yeah. You've got the there. giant
0: giant snakes in Florida as well, which aren't yes. native and they're killing all of the alligators and cayman and Very stuff because um yeah, so on and so forth. So yeah, um uh, humans, I think, is is the
3: answer to all of that. But I think the question originated with a question about the kangaroos getting to Australia. Yeah, that one there. Ah, mm-hmm. there we are, yeah, yeah. So
2: well, how did kangaroos know. get to Australia? Mm-hmm there's another one there associated with dingoes well we can be a lot more dogmatic about dingoes that's the native dog Um, you'll find that the dingo exists in india the dingo shows all the evidence of having arrived here the same way cows did it Mm. came with people right and the people bought it in their boats whether it's the traders from indonesia who they jumped out of their boats that they were bringing or whether it's the aboriginals themselves and the evidence Really, from the genetics, Diane, you can yes. comment on this in a moment. Tells us the dingoes have been here around about 5,000 years. So you take it from there, Diane.
1: Yes, we've actually written this up on the fact file. Uh, so if you go to that, to the fact file and look up dingoes, and uh, yes, they've they've looked at the genetics of the dogs, the wild dogs in, in India, or the and the uh, dingoes. There's a de- definite de- genetic link. Now I see there's another question that's just come up on the uh, do do dingoes uh sorry do dingoes breed with dogs down under the answer is yes they do um some friends of mine who live just outside of canberra had a dog that was a dingo cross because their family originally came from a farm uh, up in queensland and there the farm dogs will breed with the wild dingoes and uh but this puppy was brought back to um to canberra and it was Perfectly happy dog living on their. Um, they had a, a big property just outside of Canberra, it wasn't a farm, but uh, it was perfectly happy and lived amongst the other dogs.
2: In fact, mm. to, to add mm. to that, one of our first time members, first original members, was a linguist for the university, and he was also responsible for compiling the Aboriginal dictionary and reinstating Aboriginal place names. So a fairly prominent man received his Order of Australia Medal for his work to native Australians. But he—he he, you can see Dr. Alan Hall on our video, Origin of Races, yeah. right? Because he knew an awful lot of native people. We got to know them, got to hear their stories, got to hear the bit of information he shares that the Aboriginal name in North Australia for the native dog is not dingo, that's, that's further south. The native name there is Kucha. Now, you can go to India, as I have been, and see dingoes you can see Kucha. the name is essentially the same or in England it's a coot right and so we have a very similar name tracing around the planet because they all got off the same big boat right and spread out from there and the same is true of the kangaroos the kangaroos don't seem to have come to Australia by boat even though they went to the Isle of Man by boat right so don't think of these things are impossible but in reality the the water around Australia, particularly after Noah's flood dropped and dropped. And you can see forest Mm -hmm. heading North uh, under the water from the North of Australia or heading South off the bottom of Australia. So many creatures actually walk to Australia, including Aboriginals, right? So that that's the essence of the origin of many of these critters.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great stuff. Um, Sam. By the way,
2: do do you, do you have a, a link where they can get origin of the races if you put that up as a mp4, MP4. yeah
0: we can put it out on, on streaming and on and yeah. on the links so if you head to any of our streaming sites particularly creationresearchlive.com there'll be details up on there <clears throat> all right sam let's have another question
4: all righty uh, let's pick uh let me get rid of those questions because we've already answered them um uh, here we go this one comes in from david cruz on facebook uh that will show uh, question are polystrate trees
3: radioactive i.e emit radon yes oh there we go a uh, simple <laughs> <laughs> is your human body radioactive your human body is radioactive mm-hmm. we have uh, potassium in our system uh, a portion of the potassium is radioactive uh, the trees are going to have potassium in it Portion of that's going to be radioactive but i think the question is do they emit Radon, I would think that's going to depend upon what they were fossilized from.
0: I'm thinking Chattanooga, shale, John.
3: Yes, many of that area's got radon gases. Yeah,
2: yeah. And it's got a moderately higher level of cancer problems and diseases associated yes. with radon, uh, particularly if you build your basement down into yes. the rock and it's not an insulated basement. And so you will find that uh, leaking radon, radon actually penetrates mm-hmm. everything. And if there's a tree, and I've investigated the Chattanooga Shale from Canada right down to the Gulf of Mexico, basically, and you'll find that it's radioactive all the way down. In fact, they did think in World War II of sourcing it for uranium uh, recovery and uranium bombs. It just never came to pass, but it still could be sourced that way. And surprise, surprise, much of the fossil record is derived from the surface of the first Earth which you have to think about why did God give us radioactivity? Two things. Radioactivity goes from high down to low. So number one, it's a reminder that when God made the world, the radioactivity was a key that it was not going to last forever. Not that Adam would have read his radioactive rocks to conclude this world's going to run out, but that's a built in principle of all radioactivity. Secondly, you'll find that if the world is stripped off in Noah's flood, then the first set of rocks that are exposed down deep, because I personally have the conviction radioactivity was part of God's way of making the earth warm before there was a sun. It was actually warmed up on day one because there was already radioactive elements doing their job. But they would have been absolutely isolated from anything but the heat. You wouldn't have got radioactive poisoning in that first earth. It was locked off from you, same as we lock off radioactive um chemicals in in the nuclear production. You don't get burnt from that because you just insulate it. So what you'll find is when you strip that off, then all of the sediments in Noah's flood, and no matter what you think about them, will have radioactive content, big or small. So don't be surprised. Many of the trees and that pick up radioactivity, and you'll find the coal. Surprise, surprise. Coal is actually full of microscopic uranium in many cases.
3: Yeah. And the question is, is, is it harmful? You know, it's going to depend upon the levels. And yeah. so, yeah.
0: But we've we've um, gone up and down the Chattanooga Shale in Tennessee. And we've both observed, haven't we, John, that there's a lot of mutated plants growing along the, uh, the sort of the road cuts where there's the exposure, where they've obviously taken on some of the radioactive uh, elements and uh, a rather... Um, rather mutated, whether it's a lack of chlorophyll or whether it's sort of scrunched up leaves or whether it's, yeah. you know, they're, they're clearly struggling to, to, to grow. So it's not good uh, it, when it's exposed like that, for sure. And that goes back. Actually, I remember one of the points that you've made a long time ago, um, John, about uh, carbon-14 in terms of was Adam breathing in any carbon-14 when he was created? Well, it's 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 poisonous to you, so no. <laughs> so the carbon fourteen would have had to have come in at a later point than in a, an original very good world. So it's uh, it's it's good to get all this into perspective sometimes. All right, Sam, over to you.
4: All uh, right, next question. Let's keep churning them out.
0: Keep it, keep it rolling.
4: Uh, Shogiwar comes in with this question: Does Genesis nine six refute the idea that people are not made in the image of God, but only made in the image of Adam? If okay. I read out the uh, passage for you, can
0: do. Yeah, I think a more re- a relevant one would be um, Genesis five. But uh, well, basically, Genesis 9, Genesis nine six is a reminder
2: about who you can kill and who you can't kill. That's right. yes. and yeah, yeah, yeah. the rules on murder or justice.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well. Yeah, I mean, you, you Genesis 5 versus sort of 1 to 5 are the the, the the real key in understanding if we're made in the image of God anymore or not. But go on, Sam, if you've got it up there.
4: Yeah, I've got it here. Uh, Behold, I established my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And... Um... Oh, no, hang on, that's the wrong one. Uh, <laughs> well, that's not nine, six. I to 9 I went to 9-9 nine, nine instead of 9-6. Um, whoever sheds the blood of man by mm. man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own
0: image. Yeah. So man there is is clearly not talking about um, a, well, the, who, which which man did God make in his image? That's the first question to ask. The answer is Adam. Right, And then Eve was made out of Adam. So both Adam and Eve were made in the image of God, but they were made in the perfect image of God. The real key thing is, number one, recognizing that that means that all descendants have that inheritance. All descendants from Adam have that inheritance of being made in the image of God. And uh, actually, the verse that Sam started to read but but was wrong um, goes on to, to, to talk about the covenant that God makes with Noah and all of his descendants, and that covenant still stands today. Right, so you'll find that that was part of the discussions in the Acts of the Apostles. Right, going back to that covenant that God made with Noah. But if you go to Genesis chapter five and you'll read from verse one to five, it says that God, in the day that God made man, right, i.e., Adam, He made him in the image and likeness of God. So Adam was made in the image of likeness of God. All of his descendants, that includes me, that includes John, Glenn, Diane, and Sam, we are all have that inheritance of going back to Adam. But when you read about Adam's son, Seth, you have an interesting little you know, comment there, because it says Adam made a son in his likeness, in his image, and named him Seth. Right? So Seth was not made in the direct image of God, he was made in the image of his father. And uh, Adam was made in the image of God, so Seth had that inheritance, but Seth was made in the image of his father. Now at this point in history, was Adam a perfect human being? The answer is no, he'd have sinned. Right? God firmly placed the blame on Adam. For sin entering the world, and you can see that paralleled in Romans and in Corinthians, right? By one man, um, sin entered the world, and death through sin. It's Adam's responsibility. It was Adam who chose to sin, and as a result of that, Adam now has a sin nature which he passes on down to his son, because he is now no longer a perfect human being. He cannot produce a perfect human being, so Seth is made in the fallen, corrupted image of his father. So, if you want to get the big perspective, not one of us here are made in the perfect image of God, we are all made in the corrupt image of our fathers, right? Mm. Now we have an inheritance that goes back to Adam which is why only descendants of Adam can be saved, which is why you have to be careful about allowing evolutionary thinking to infiltrate the church because you ended up with a situation of well, if the Aborigines in Australia <laughs> are a different race of man to the point where they're not actually descended from Adam, they must be descended from apes, therefore there's no point sending missionaries to them because they Only descendants of Adam can be saved. See, that's where the evolutionary ideas start to get in and mess things up. The reality is we're all descended from Adam. We all have that original inheritance, which is why we can be saved by the sacrifice of Jesus. But our image is now corrupted. It's now marred because we are made in the direct image of our father, who is corrupt all the way back to Adam. Um, John, any comments? Yeah. Um, We
2: sometimes suffer from the convenience of our modern uh, translations being divided into chapters and verses courtesy of a French uh, bishop and an English one uh, and it's a useful idea but it makes you miss the flow so at the end of the flood God's just told us in chapter 8 22 the world is going to change right there's going to be winter summer it's going to be hot It's going to be cold and Noah will face even though he, he doesn't know this he will have to store food up like he's never done before Right, there will be winter when they need warmth. Mrs. Noah has to invent bed socks. Uh, and in fact, then you keep going. In chapter nine, there's new rules. You see, back in Genesis chapter three and four, Cain kills his brother, but God doesn't put him to death. Right? There's now a new rule that if this happens again, you will. Now you'll have to consult with God as to why He thought the time was right. But the long-term picture is the rest of the chapter is you can't kill people. You can kill animals, right? And the only thing you won't eat in the animal is the blood. You will not shed the blood of man. The the verse we're looking at, you will eat animals, but you'll not eat the blood. And the long term pointer is, of course, to there's only one man who comes and says, unless you eat my blood. Jesus shocked the eyeballs out of the Jews when he said that because they'd read Genesis chapter nine. Uh, You know, they had it on big rocks or something when when they looked at or tablets or scrolls or whatever. And you'll find that when you look at the context, it's mainly about who you can kill, what you can kill, what your diet will be. Of course, you can't strangle the animal because its blood won't leak out. So put it in the big context. You can't be a cannibal. Why not? It's pretty hard to eat a raw man, just as hard to eat a raw cow. So you've got to kill the cow, but you're not authorized to kill the man. And then you can't eat the blood in any way, shape or form. My Scottish ancestors said, well, it gets so cold here, we have to eat everything. And I've had remarkable um, negative discussions with the Scots who argue to the point of death, quite literally, that they have the right to eat blood when God said you don't. Hence the discussion of evil. God says there's the line. I've drawn it. Don't cross it. So for any of you black pudding lovers in Germany or in Scotland, if you've crossed that line, you'll be held accountable not to John Mackay uh, but to actually the Lord God who made the rules and has every right to tell you that this is wrong. That's the context for what help it is.
0: Great stuff.
4: Cool beans. Let's keep it moving. Uh, right. Uh, let's choose another question. Uh, this one comes in from uh, Doki Doki. Uh, have you fa- uh, have you found fossils in the Smoky Mountains?
2: Huh. Which part? <laughs> It's a you actually actually cross them going if you start on the west at the grand canyon you'll find that the specimens in 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 the coconino sandstone actually are traceable back to the smoky mountains granites and things like that and they've arrived at this at the grand canyon that's quite a large distance by the way and they have got there because they got there quickly if they traveled slowly from the smoky mountains to the grand canyon sandstones they wouldn't have made it as many more than a than a powder that you'd never recognise. So there's point number one. Point number two is you'll find the beds continue on from the base of the Grand Canyon. Um, uh, there's what we call, the, has been traditionally called the great unconformity. Now it's not a rock layer, it's a, a technically a gap in the deposition. You get the granitic neces and that, and then you get the first Cambrian fossil bearing rocks that you can trace that line all the way and where it shows up is just as you cross the Smoky Mountains. Now, I've been there hunted up and down and you will find plenty of evidence of massive erosion over in the Smoky Mountains and the water has provably been going from east to west. I'm not surprised if you had Noah's flood, that would be a natural direction. Much of the water flow would have gone when everything's covered. But above that, you will find you start to enter the fossil bearing rocks. Right. So when you go up that sequence, the, the bottom of the unconformity comes up and up and up till eventually it reaches the almost the top in the Smoky Mountains. And then you find uh, above that, then you have your fossil bearing rocks. Um, first of all, your Cambrian type sandstones and then your limestones and things like that. So, yes, you do. You've just got to pick your point as to where you want to look at it and beware: Smoky Mountains means exactly that. They can smoke out and fog like you can't believe. Trust me. I was driving a vehicle down the mountain and all of a sudden it just fogged. It just went smoky, right? And we couldn't see a thing and just as well as nobody else uh, up there because we went right through an intersection and we didn't even see it till we were two thirds of the way through. Man, thank you, Lord, for preserving your servants here uh, in these idiots who didn't realize how fast this smokiness can actually happen.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. great stuff
4: awesome source right let's keep this rolling and per george's request i have to read these slowly um so uh, this one comes in from the look uh question what bible version should i read been trying to find one but keep Mm. coming up with people who say to only read the kjv this is actually a really good question because you can go into a whole can of worms.
0: With this well, yeah, we can get very... <laughs> John, you've been probably the Christian the most longest out of all of us. How about you? Uh... Well,
2: I noticed that uh, uh, George, not George, um, our, our Tennessee guy, wants <laughs> it to put his tuppence worth in. So you say what you say, then I'll add an older perspective.
3: I, yes, I, I was just saying, this one thing I like about having Bible apps and you can easily go through so many different versions and and compare. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I also like to have my Hebrew and Greek books so I can go back to the original text. Um, But, you know, it's a matter of, for some of these, balancing accuracy to the original text versus what is easily readable to where you can understand. And I tend to lean towards the ones that are more accurate but I know many people that struggle and have difficulties reading and need something a little easier. Uh, but I would compare versions and this, the apps make that easy to do.
4: Yeah, definitely. So, I think, I think no. just, just one quick thing before you jump in, John, um, the, the best Bible translation is the one that you read essentially. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, you have to find the one that works for you. You have to find one that clicks. Um, You'll probably go through. I mean, again, a great suggestion, Glenn, is is to have a a Bible app and just switch through um, different translations and find read the same verse over and over again. Yes, different translations, and then get the one that is actually right for you. I personally find the ESV um, is the translation that's right for me, Um, but a lot of people don't like the ESV, and that's fair enough. Um, But I, I, if you struggle with um, English, and um, you, you don't don't necessarily understand a lot of sort of the more archaic words. Perhaps lean more into sort of the NIV because that's sort of a, a middle ground between uh, you know accuracy and po- uh, like poetry sort of um, either end of the spectrum. And then you can go even further down the spectrum towards the NLT and the message and things like that. But you just got to find the one that's right for you. Basically, that's my two cents. Go on, John. <laughs>
2: Okay. When Sam gets a little more mature and graduates to a few other versions, we'll we'll uh, we'll, we'll, we'll we'll remind him of this. Okay. You'll notice if I quote from the Bible, uh, nine times out of ten, I'll quote from the KJV in a version in a verse that you can understand. Now, my background in my day, the only thing you could buy was a King James yes. version, right? You couldn't yeah. buy anything else in Australia. No. Uh, it just wasn't wasn't available. I didn't know anything about Bible controversies or anything like that. I did have the advantage that we did Shakespeare at high school. So it never really was an issue for me because I was already into with the befores and what we got nots uh, that came out of, you know, um, all, all the Shakespearean type English. So it was much easier in my day. But however, the one thing I did notice, and I'd caution those of you who are KJV only stand when I go to Romania or I go to Hungary, I cannot use KJV. The reason is simple. The KJV was bought into English. Praise God for King James' in incentive that he wanted a Bible that everybody could read. There'd be one in the churches because you live in a blessed day. No Bible apps in 1600s. No sort of Bible that you could buy from the Bible Society. You went to church to read the authorized version um, that was chained to the pulpit, right? (laughs) It really was. Uh, And you, you could actually check it for yourself. But the reason they want that it was translated that way is that was ordinary people, slightly educated. That was their version of English back in the 1600s. You can go and compare it with Wycliffe and have a look at a whole different English, or you can go even even earlier to look at some of the first attempts to put the Latin into English. And you'll be absolutely puzzled by it because the words have dropped out and have changed. And in Romania, they're not used at all. In Hungary, they're not used at all. So we have to find a version that has the same aim as Wycliffe have to make a a translation of God's word into the ordinary languages that the kid out in the field can pick up and read. And he did a marvelous job. I have another advantage. I married into the Bible Society. So my wife's father was the president of the Bible Society. So I got to see all the Bibles before they came into print or were rejected. It was a a real blessing to see what some people did to the Bible that really reflected their own views. So when you read in King James, God made each creature after their kind, and then you read a very famous American, well, I I actually wouldn't call it a Bible, a para-Bible. It says God made different kinds of animals. I'm sorry, that is not even a good paraphrase yes right because the people who made that translation actually believe in evolution so find out what the translators actually believed before they made that translation because most of them can't avoid putting their own thoughts into the translation now in 1600s of course nobody believed in evolution nobody leaves in millions of years but we live in a world today where that's common even in the bible colleges i was reading a missionary book the other day and it was all on mission planning And it said, when we go into the mission field, present tense, right? We need to consider how many million years this tribe has taken to come into existence. Now, that's a way to destroy the Bible's message that God made man his image. Adam sin. The people on Noah's Ark are all descended from a sinner. And the people after Babel, whether they're black, white or indigo pink, are all the descendants of a sinful man. Adam, they haven't taken millions of years. But mission programs need to look for a good bible that's been translated accurately um yeah. that's that's probably the way i would do it so along with glenn i actually like the greek and the hebrew spend a lot of time with some of our bible scholars dr hall etc saying teach me hebrews so i can at least read it and understand it even if i couldn't translate it so that that's what i look for i recommend you do that it'll take cost you time and effort joe and-
3: and keep in mind, I would say, is that, you know, the Holy Spirit, one of his roles is to help us communicate with the Father. And so it's important to always start your Bible reading in prayer and just ask God, God, help me to understand your word. And, and it's amazing to me is, you know, I've read through the Bible many, many times and I go back and go, wow, I have a new insight into that. that I've never caught that before. Um, it's a continual growing But start it off in prayer. And whatever, that's my recommendation. It's
0: worth as well, and sort of understanding, as we've sort of mentioned, some of the history of this. I mean, a huge portion of the King James Bible is lifted or taken directly off of Tyndale's Bible, whose main... Aim was to make something accessible to the common man, and um, he's probably accredited up there with uh people like William Shakespeare in terms of inventing language, right, and 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 having huge influence on English literature, even to the point that Richard Dawkins says every single person ought to read the King James Bible, right? And I agree with him, it's one of the few things we do agree with him on because it has got enormous English. Literary history, as well as being a uh, a, a, you know a a, a translation, but as John has mentioned, everything no translation is going to be perfect because it's a translation, right? And there's number one, going to be hidden agendas and hidden ideas and hidden interpretations, which you don't understand. Number two, it's not what the original documentation was that was revealed to man. Now, there is still a, a going to be a spiritual element to this in the sense that God will preserve his word, but it is worth digging into the background to the translation. So, for instance, if you were to pick up your Um, uh, what is it, the um, Jehovah's Witnesses translation, um, New World translation, for instance, right? Not only is it not a translation, not only does it have a serious amount of uh, agenda behind it, um, it's something which is heretical at the best. And then you get onto your more sort of fringe translations, like the Message or the Good News Bible stuff, which is almost well, not really uh, translation, more sort of paraphrase, and yes, okay, it's easy reading, but how alive is it? And then you get into your more sort of, okay, we're starting to get more into translations now, things like the New Living Translation, but it's still very paraphrasy, all up to things like the New American Standard, the ESV, the New King James, the King James, stuff like that. So yeah, same as, uh, as John and Glenn have mentioned, Expose yourself to a number of translations. Understand the history and the background to the translations. And one thing that John has spent most of his time that he knows me encouraging me to do, and I'm grateful for that, and I know that John is grateful for those who encouraged him to do that, is learn a little bit of Hebrew and Greek, um, even if it's uh, enough just to be able to, to read. What's the name of that app that we both have? It's like Blue Letter Bible or Esword or Blue something. Letter Blue yeah. Letter yeah. Bible. Blue
2: Letter Bible it is. Yeah. Yeah, you find that a very helpful compilation. Bible Hub also has a lot of Mm -hmm. comparative Mm -hmm. translations. So you can see anything from the worst of the (laughs) modern versions to the best. But Mm -hmm. just to give you something that I found studying words, because in the beginning was the word, and the scripture says study the word to show yourself approved. I was talking to a girl just a week or two ago. Uh she'd been high up in yoga, you know, meditation, all of that, and she taught me well she didn't realize she did it but it came out of the conversation the end she said in yoga we're trained to link ourselves to the the spirit realm right we we get calm we put all this off etc no one god but trained to to escape your body right the essence of hinduism uh that's what she was on about and i thought well that's an indian word and to me the fact that she was trained to link herself to that perhaps our english word Um, don't be unequally yoked and the word yoga are connected. So I did a whole heap of research over the next week and beyond a shadow of a doubt, the basis of yoga is to link yourself to the spirits. The basis of the word yoke is to link yourself only to the one God, right? So don't be unequally yoked. Don't link yourself to the non-Christians in marriage, in employment, If you're going to have people as your equal partners in a business who are non-Christians, then I warn you, you'll have failure coming up. Either let them be the boss or you be the boss. Don't link yourself unequally. She was actually linking herself to the spirits and praise the Lord. She has become a Christian and had to unlink herself. Uh, That's where words comes in. You see, Sanskrit and English are connected. So if you want to understand your Bible and you want to read an English version, then understand even your English. So when you're reading King James, it actually tells you that the Lord actually um, goes ahead of you in your modern translation, but it it talks about how the Lord preventus the dawning in the King James. Now there's a word which provably has flipped 180 degrees in its English meaning in just ordinary translation. So be careful. Use your dictionaries. Use your Hebrew dictionaries. Yes, it takes time. It takes effort. But talk about it with others at church. Talk mm. about it with people in the street. You'll soon see if you really understand it because the best way of knowing if you understand it comes from when you try to tell somebody else what you think you
0: learned. Yeah, no, spot on.
4: All right. I think we've uh, expunged that question for all it's worth. So let's move on for, to another one. Um, this one comes in from, ah, oh, this one comes in from Doki Doki. Doki. Um, uh, this will lead me nicely into something. Uh, did Joe or Sam ever play Noah's Ark on the old Nintendo Entertainment System? Joe?
0: No. I um, The extent of my computer games was a uh, Bob the Builder castle educational thing on a large Windows Vista. Okay. Like uh, that was about it
4: groundbreaking graphics there uh... um no i i i sadly never actually owned uh, an nes um i it is well i want to go through a bunch of old sort of retro games so i'll definitely put that on my list but this does actually bring me onto an interesting uh new development from us that we are now on twitch and rumble um so there we go so you know
0: what either of that means okay so twitch
4: (laughs) is a uh, platform primarily used for video games uh but it does have a just chatting section so we we are currently live on twitch uh streaming um and also we are on rumble as well which is sort of a youtube alternative um set that up before the stream we're not actually live on rumble this week but we should be live on Rumble next week however we do need your help with rumble we need at least a minimum of five followers Um, to go live so if we could get five followers before the next stream that would be absolutely grand and I will put uh, links to both of the channels in the chat um, so you can go and check those out Um, and then while
2: can I interrupt you here and ask you a question does your Bible program which is a great idea that you're doing uh, can they do that through those ones as well
4: yeah everyone can do everyone can do the uh, Bible journey I'm um, one,
2: one so, waiting till you get up to Chronicles because I want to see how you go with Chronicles because I struggle with that. In the, no matter what version, I look at it.
4: <laughs> no, so we uh, uh, well, we uh, well, I'm currently in Leviticus, uh, coming to the end of Leviticus, going into Numbers. Um, but yes, yeah, so we're, we're almost there, um, and we're we're making our way through the Bible in a year. Um, going from cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, in order, no jumping around. Um, I don't, and I'm not necessarily too keen on those um, uh, Bible in one year things where they do a bit of uh, of Old Testament and a bit of Psalm as well. I'm I'm like, no, just give it it to me in order, please. Um, But, yeah, if you go to our YouTube channel, uh, you can see a video from us, uh, well, from me, um, highlighting the Bible Journey Challenge. If you scroll down, it's the third option down from the top. Um, uh, if you find Bible Journey, you should find all the videos so far there. Um, so thank you for that prompt, John. Much appreciated. And I will put up another question. This comes in from Andrew Wakefield was right. I have no idea who Andrew Wakefield was, but here we go. Question. At Creation Research, do you believe the creation versus evolution debate has moral implications or is it merely scientific?
0: Joe? Um, well, anything. Well, the the answer is going to be going back to what we were discussing earlier, right? Who are we descended from? Who's our line? Right, goes back to Adam, and uh, the Bible gives us Adam as the origin of sin. It gives us the he stepped the line over the line from good to evil that God had put there. And as a result, evil now reigned, which is why Jesus actually needed to come. So this whole creation versus evolution debate, it does have moral implications because the Bible firmly um, or God firmly puts the blame of um, the reason why evil reigns today, the reason why there are bad things in the world today, the reason for sin. God firmly puts the blame on Adam. Right? And Adam was a creation. And you'll find that all down throughout both the Old Testament and the New Testament, it says that Jesus Christ is that creator. So Jesus Christ is the creator. It's the Godhead who drew the line between what is good and what is evil. It is Adam who chose to step over that line. And as a result, we are all born into sin and we all need a savior. And so when you start to see the thread that kind of runs all the way through that, and uh, Paul, who was trained in the highest universities at the time with regards to the law of God, Right. He knew exactly what he was doing when he said uh, and wrote down in the book of things like Romans and Corinthians, by one man sin entered the world and death by sin. Right. Make the links. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God so all are sinners. The wages of sin is death. All sin, so all die. That's why we needed Jesus Christ. So yes, it definitely has not only moral implications, but also salvation implications, right? It's Um, gospel-centered. It's a gospel-centered doctrine. John? Diane, Mm -hmm. you come from an Anglican community. What's the connection?
2: I mean, we have a famous Anglican college which is abandoning God, I mean they started out six yeah. days of creation, now they moved away from that. What are some of the implications even for the Anglican community?
1: Well, in terms of uh, creation versus evolution, I think one of the most essential ones, which has definite uh, moral implications, is that we are told that human beings were made as separate creations. We are not animals, therefore you cannot judge animal human behaviour by animal behaviour. And so, uh, for example, we have people writing in saying, well, animals do this. Uh, It must be natural. Why can't people do it? And the Mm -hmm. answer is human beings did not evolve. They are special creations. They never were animals. So that's one very, very clear divide between creation and evolution. We were never animals, so we cannot use animal behavior to uh,
2: tell us what gender uh, we should be tell
1: us what gender we could be or whether we can change our gender or things like that Um, so very clear moral implications there how humans behave is according to what God has told us about human beings because human beings are in a different and separate category they always were whatever has happened to us since then We have always been separate from animals, so we cannot make any moral issues based on animal behaviour.
2: I'll give you an illustration that's just happened in our courts out here. A young man was uh, basically jailed, uh, very serious charges of murder because he'd run down a mother and killed the unborn baby in her womb seven months along, right? So he's, for the first time in Australian history, he's charged with a murder type offence. Now, at the same time in Australia, you can get an abortion up till the day before the baby is born, right? In other words, the absolute hypocrisy of saying someone who's run down a mum and killed the baby and a doctor who is paid to actually kill the baby deliberately are regarded as two separate and and unrelated events. What sheer hypocrisy? And the same is true, this church uh, community is struggling with who should be bishops, could gay people be bishops, all those sort of things. And they have no roots to sort out the answer unless they historically gay. God made them male and female. End of discussion, Mm. right? There's an article that's come out just yesterday. I sent it to Joe and some of the others on the fact that they are now breeding mice that have been bred purely from male mice, right? They've taken the cells and tweaked them. They've taken they've dropped one X chromosome out of one, they've mixed it with a a normal female egg, uh, a normal male sperm and produced new baby mice. And then down at the bottom article, it says this has real implications for the gay community, uh, even though we're a long way away from it, where two males can actually have their own baby without a woman being involved. Now, that's because they don't believe there is a God who will hold them accountable. Like Ravi doesn't, you can see from his his track going on down the side, he does not believe the God of the Bible. He wants to be God himself. You do that and you'll end up having no answer to what is evil, whether it be the killing of a baby by driving or the killing of a baby by abortion or what sex you can be to be a bishop or not. And it will divide and tear to pieces with no resolution in sight unless you get back to God's word is literal from the very beginning
0: another um, quick example as well if you want to look purely at the moral side of things right you'll find in both of uh, paul's letters to the corinthian church it is full of discussion on morals the corinthian church was a fairly messed up church it would seem and paul spent most of his letters to them you know trying to encourage them but at the same time trying to sort of you know whip them back in on on track and uh, what's interesting is in discussions about things like animals and we use these Example in um, our programs on things like animal rights, right? Uh, Paul states that God has created different types of flesh. There's the flesh of birds, there's the flesh of animals, there's the flesh of man, right? There are different types of flesh. Now, that is a moral discussion. It's a discussion of different morals that apply to different creatures and completely separately to human beings that's because they were created different so creatures and humans and animals were created with different sets of moles right and uh, that goes straight back to creation so you'll find that your doctrine things like you know um dominion as well uh both given to Adam, re-established or reconfirmed at the time of Noah, affirmed by people like Paul in the New Testament. These are all sort of uh, moral discussions which go straight back to Genesis, and they don't make sense unless you have a creator who actually created these with inherent morals built into the system. So it all goes back to,
3: to creation for sure. Mm-hmm. I was going to add that Paul, you mentioned Paul earlier, he continually ties the gospel with creation, and he introduces lots of his discussions about the gospel with a comment about the creation. And even in Romans 1, he talks a great deal about what we see today as moral issues, and yet he ties it in with falling for the myth and buying Mm. into the lie instead of This, he says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. God's wrath is against all ungodliness. And he tells us why. He says, for since the creation of the world, his, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even Mm -hmm. as eternal power and Godhead. And so, yes, there's a clear connection. And our objective behind, you know, defending the creation account And yes, we use these science approaches to that, but it's because of the connection to the gospel and to how God deals with all ungodliness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that is, there is a definite moral issue, but it's it's more than morals. It's about sin, our obedience to God. He decides.
0: Yeah, no, great stuff. All right, Sam, let's move on.
4: All righty, let's pick another question here. This one comes in from Ravi. Good to see you, Ravi. Uh, Question, Isaiah 45, 7 says, I create peace, I create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Is this not biblical proof that God is ultimately responsible for all evil in the world?
3: That again goes back to what we talked about earlier. Does Isaiah 45, 7 say that? I looked at multiple verses, that's what I, versions, I pulled that out and it doesn't say it creates evil, He creates the, the darkness. Um, so, you know, it gets back to that. John, I thought, explained it very well. It's not that he creates evil, he created the rules. He is the creator of all the heavens and the yeah. earth. And he drew the line in the sand. It was man that decided to disobey.
2: Yeah, it really is, Rather, you're stuck about the fact that you want evil to be your definition and God totally disagrees with you because he says, I alone am the Lord. I alone make the rules. I alone define what's evil, define what's dark, right? So that therefore he separated the light from the darkness uh, physically. And that's always used as a principle from then on. I alone separate the light from the dark morally and you Well, I know, mate, you don't like it, but you're going to have to bow the knee and say, he alone is right. And I've shared before and I've shared it again. First time I read through the Bible, I got up to Leviticus and I saw rules that being raised in a non-Christian family in which my family has homosexuals and things like that, the wider family, I had to say, well, I don't agree with that rule. And then I had to say, well, Lord, I know you're God. And in the end, you're going to be right. I may as well give up arguing now." now. that's what you need to do, mate. Submit to the word of God. And you'll find that when you say something like this, if it's not what the Bible said, you are the one who's crossed the line because we're told to repeat what God has said as the rule. And he separates the light from the darkness. And that's the point he's making in Isaiah and in every other simple place.
3: Thanks. Talk, for talk, if, you if, answer, Isaiah, if you go to Isaiah 520, it gives you a warning. Before he got to that 45, 70, he says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for do- darkness. Uh, let's get into what John's saying.
0: Yeah, they're, they're used in in parallel, both evil evil and, and, and darkness. And I mean, you think about what darkness is. Darkness is the absence of light, mm-hmm. right? Um, It is God who defines what is the light and the darkness, because on the first day, the darkness shone into the light. And it talks about also in John uh, chapter one, where it parallels that, that the darkness shines into the light and the light, the the darkness cannot overcome it. It cannot... Comprehend it, it cannot understand it. Right? Evil is the absence of goodness, of godliness, right? Um, which is why it's God Himself who defines what evil is, because yeah. it, is, it is outside of him, it is what is he is not. And so by giving the rule to Adam and Adam choosing to disobey, Adam is choosing to reject God, he's choosing to cross that line into evilness, which is why he no, can no longer have direct communication with God. Right? Jesus walked with Adam in the garden and then it was no more. He, In fact he had to hide himself in his shame because he has now crossed over into evil and as a result of that everybody including Seth and all of us from that down and we spoke about this earlier we all inherit that sin nature. None of us can stand in the presence of an almighty God apart from Jesus Christ. It's that sacrifice which redeems us which means we can uh, be in the presence of God. So it's good to get it into the into the full perspective
2: yeah i just had one thing here because somebody just told us they read their niv in church as i said i married into the bible society a dear godly man who was the president then long gone now to be with jesus but uh he's he he was very in insistent on checking the whole bible out and i always remember laughing at at some of the translations which you could see the influence of culture on rather than accuracy or content. So that one of the, uh, not quite paraphrases, not quite, they were just a colloquial type uh, mm. semi-translation. And there's a section there where King David actually goes into a cave and he, he he goes to the toilet, right? Now, you can't say toilet publicly in America. You can't say he, well, King James says he pissed on the wall. <laughs> now, that's the influence of French, on, you know, the water, Right, so don't, don't you think that word's a scum word or anything? But the American version said he went into the cave to go to the restroom, and I thought, what? <laughs> What's a restroom doing inside a cave? And that sort of takes it so far out of the ordinary that it becomes so hilarious you laugh at it. And and then you'll find that when you you look at some of the more modern translations, as I said before, watch out the ones that say. He made many kinds, many types of animals. Well, yeah. he did, that's a truth, but it's not what the scripture actually says. He made them in separate kinds and that, that that's rules out evolution. No matter how you translate the words kinds or anything like that, it has to indicate it's separate. It has to indicate evolution is not possible. Whereas Taylor, the author of that sort of semi-translation actually has an evolutionary background. So catch up on what the background of these authors are before you actually commit yourself to using. We used to use NIV in our church too, and they scrapped it. We've used ESV, and they struggled with that. So it's amazing to see if you want to know accuracy, then as Glenn said, get your Bible app. You're the first generation that can do this. You imagine having a Bible app in Jesus' day with 10 foot long scrolls. You know, open up your scroll to Isaiah. I never know how he did that, right? Or Moses' day when it's all on stone tablets. Man, well, what a Bible you'd have. But uh, in reality, make sure you study the word of God, not the words of men.
3: Yep. Yep. And getting back to the evil, you know, we don't get to, to choose. That's why it says, you know, substituting good for evil and such. That's not our call. God draws that line. Yep. Great
4: All right, then. Next question. Uh, let's have a look Um uh, this, this one's a bit of a fun one. Uh, Doki Doki coming in with... Oh, click the wrong one. Uh, coming in with a one forty nine US buckaroo a hamburger. <laughs> Just a
0: hamburger. Fair enough. Uh,
4: but he does bring in a question with it. Are you starting to run out of shell space for fossils in Oswestry?
0: No, we've still got plenty of space. So uh, if anybody wants to donate fossils, do get in touch. We've had uh, quite a few different donations, including... Um, just over here, I can't go get them right now, we've had about 450 shells uh, donated to us, fossil shells from the Eocene. So that's been um, been really good in the last few days. Yeah. We've been sorting through that. So, yes, keep uh, keep on supporting. Still got plenty and, of you know, room. The same, plenty same is well. true
2: for the Australian Museum. You know, we, we need some of those, those rocks and fossils. Yeah. Here in Australia yeah. Australia and all of the sort of uh, archaeology stuff we've got here in Australia, Joe, to make ours look at least a little bit, um like yours has turned into so visit the museums in tasmania in uh-huh. australia uh, in uh, queensland and uh, in england and we're looking forward to the one that you get going over there uh, glenn oh uh,
3: really I'm, I'm gonna start a museum
4: oh, well. i would love
3: to if god will give me a building on genesis road <laughs> you've probably driven down Genesis Road. And I've often Literally. thought man, yeah, that yeah, would yeah. be the place to have a creation museum. Genesis but I'll tell you what,
2: you've been out with Robert Stewart collecting fossils, and he's part of a, a big soup and not supermarket chain, burger chain. And $1.49 yep. wouldn't even get you a decent burger at his place. So, <laughs> up the donations there for some decent sized burgers. So,
0: yes. <laughs> Great stuff. All right, Sam, we've got enough time. We've got about another 20 minutes. So a few more questions to fill before we begin to wrap up.
4: Okie dokie. This one comes in from Mr. Gates. I wonder how big was Adam? Maybe 10 feet or more.
0: Uh, Diane, do you want to comment on the, the biological no, implications on the size?
4: Been, he wouldn't
1: have been 10 feet. He may have been taller than the average person is today. In fact, he probably was. Um, but there is physical limits as to how tall human beings can grow. And it's all to do with just plain, ordinary physics in terms of how much your weight is distributed, um, and how much your bones, uh, mm. it's just like building any other structure now, because we have a vertical body and we stand on two feet and we are well-designed that brilliantly designed in fact to uh, to balance our weight uh, around um, a line that goes down through the um, center of gravity of the body but there is a limit to how much weight that uh, your bones can actually bear so up to um, over six feet certainly no problem uh, once you get beyond seven feet you do get to be to problems and we see that in people these days who have um, diseases where they produce excess growth hormones so that their bones do keep on growing and growing and don't stop. And they have a lot of problems um, with their bones in their adult life. And in fact, a lot of them die early because they also have problems with their internal organs. Uh, Mm -hmm. You you may remember some of these uh, giants, um, in the entertainment industry, Andre the Giant and uh, a couple of others that they actually did die young and they had real problems with their bones, with their mobility because of this overgrowth. So yes, Adam probably was what we would consider a big strapping strong man, probably well over six feet, but, um, but not the sort of giants that we think of in in terms of 10 feet or anything like Mm. that that's just not physically possible and in fact our bodies are designed to stop growing vertically Um, if you know the normal human life cycle we um grow during our child we grow quickly in infant life slows down a bit and then it goes through an enormous surge um during adolescence and then we just stop growing vertically because in fact the growth centers in the ends of our long bones are literally closed down. They stop growing and uh, because of hormonal control there so that uh, you get to a certain age in men can keep growing until their early twenties. Women usually stop earlier than that. But after that, you stop growing vertically. You can keep growing horizontally. Uh, I agree this way. (laughs) You can still grow horizontally, but uh, you stop growing vertically because those growth centers are literally closed down. And that is under hormonal control uh, from your brain from and from a gland in your head called the pituitary gland and the, and the hypothalamus. Uh, we won't go into the technical details there. But we are designed not to grow all of our lives and certainly not beyond between six and seven feet seems to be mm. about the uh, optimal there. In fact, mm-hmm. if
2: I can throw in, a Bible translation issue that comes up here the American translations still use the old imperial scale so when you look at the size of Noah's Ark mentioned in there it mentions 450 feet now given that Adam was most probably bigger than that you make Adam nine foot tall eight foot tall or whatever his foot is no longer what we and I call 12 inches that by the way is an inch Right, that's where the measurement comes from, It is a body measurement. So God firmly believed in digital maths, uh, right? So in reality, digital stuff has been around from the beginning. But the arc, of course, is measured in cubits. And as you grow, my cubit is bigger than Diane's cubit. So therefore, if you have a cubit measurement, it's best to translate it as Adam made, no, Noah made the boat 150 cubits, 50 cubits or whatever, and put it in their body measurement rather than in what americans think is just 12 inches defined by the present day person get caught into the present is the key for the past and use it in translation caution caution check your original and it will tell you the cubit is there and then you look it up and you find out great a great bit of information there were three cubits there's the ordering man's cubit which is 18 inches roughly on american scale and then there's the royal cubit Because to be a a king, you had to be a big bloke, right? So the royal cubit is roughly four or five inches longer. And I guess if you had had an arm that big, you could punch out anybody. And then there's the the sacred cubit, which is basically twice that length. Um, God is bigger than all is the implication that's there. So be careful, again, of translations when you have the job of translating the Bible into the language of the person you're talking to. That's when you'll get to see how much you actually understood of what it said. And Ravi's a great case in point this morning. Uh, He's not going by God's definition of evil at all, he's going by what he wants it to be. Sorry, Ravi, won't work.
3: Yeah. And then Um, I've got a question more for you guys. You know, you, you look in the scriptures, it talks about giants, and by the cubits that were given in the Bible, that they were maybe 10 feet tall, but you yeah, find yeah. on the internet, these claims of 30 foot, 20 foot. Yeah. Have you found, or there ever been any fossils to support those claims? We know there's uh, nothing.
2: Let me, let me make a comment from, from the measurements of the giants. You will find that Goliath and that they certainly are big guys and certainly probably their pituitary gland was busted. They have associated defects, mm-hmm. e.g. seven fingers, seven toes, six toes, six fingers all those sort of things and they died young so yes. it was possible for them to reach maximum size given that they had better food than we do i mean a land covered in milk and honey would not even stick the giants to the ground right <laughs> i'm just playing with words there but in reality the grapes were huge right so therefore the environment was much better than than it is now but never was there a huge number of these giants because if there was when king date when the army of the Israelites came out to fight them, they would have sent a whole truckload of giants. They sent one because they were so unviable as a human. And today you'll find human beings, particularly those who play basketball can be seven to eight feet sort of tall and do moderately well, but even their bodies sort of stress out in the end, don't they they, they,
0: Diane?
1: Mm -hmm. They end up getting all sorts of problems with their bones and their joints and things like that. By the way, oh, just to yes. justify, mm. you
2: used to work in sports physiology.
1: Yes. yes. As a, as a well, tell them
2: what you did, because I know that they don't.
1: About what? What you about. used
2: to do with sports and that.
1: Oh, well, I, I worked in, in a university where there was a sports coaching and sports science department. So some of their students used to come and do some of our courses. And uh, so they had to study biomechanics. And, and that's exactly what it is. Uh, the, our bones and joints and uh, muscles have to work by basic yeah. physics of basic mechanics, and there are just limits to how much force you can apply to uh, to your bones and joints before mm-hmm. they start to wear out.
2: Yep. Uh, in fact, the, mm-hmm. the same rules apply to fossils mm-hmm. like dinosaurs. Yes. I still remember one of the best displays I've ever been to in the British Natural History Museum where they had Um, the the world's best dinosaur hunter had all his fossils on display and he was asking questions and he was saying things like in today's sports world we know that the bigger your legs the bigger your muscles the bigger your bones the harder it is for you to run look at t-rex it could not have run after you if it wanted to look at the muscle bulk in the legs look at the athletes the bigger the muscle bulk the slower they get they may be good at shot putting or something but they are hopeless at running so there's all sorts of interactions isn't there diane if you do this then that won't happen if you do something else you'll be slowed down so take those things in consideration yes there are 10 foot giants but to answer your question to be honest even though our dear friend joe taylor was really keen on these sort of things when you have a cast and not the original you don't want to say too much about that you can say that here's the implications that the cast is real but in reality you'll find we have no specific giant fossils at all. We did a program of giants, didn't we, Joe? And
0: this is still yeah, about-
1: couple, Yeah, we've
0: done, done about two or three on giants. Yeah, done about two or three of giants are so all available. If you if you go to our YouTube channel and stick in giants in the search, um, it will it should come up. And it's probably about time we deal with it again at some point. But. Um, the, the whole we have school. questions
1: on Goliath on the Ask John McKay site as well, yeah. our, our question and answer site.
0: Uh, yeah. well, you know, Obviously, with Giants, you can go off into any, any kind of direction, including into Nephilim and so on and so forth. So anyway, um, let's have uh, one or two more quick questions, Sam, before we begin to wrap up for the evening. All right, then.
4: Uh, this one has come in from... Uh, Uh, Neil, this is a quick one. Uh, Neil uh, says, Joe, I did go down to Oswald Street to visit the Creation Museum, but unfortunately it was locked up. Is the museum open on
0: regular days? Yes, it is. It's open nine till four on Wednesdays and Saturdays. However, if you want to see the museum, which is currently uh, sort of all laid out, which is where I I mean, at the moment, um, it requires somebody to take you around. So the best thing to do is to email us uh, info at or next week, Lord willing, we will have a booking system set up on our website where you can book a tour through that way. But if you go to our website creationresearchcentre.com, you'll find out all the information on there and the booking system to do that as well. So yeah, Wednesdays and Saturdays, if you want to come for a general visit, and I'm usually around, although I won't be for the next couple of weeks. But if you want to um, actually book a visit to the museum area, you need to get in touch with us or book it via the website when that's up and running. But I'm sorry that you missed us.
4: righty, uh, Another
0: one. This is an interesting
4: one. Uh, Andrew Wakefield was right. Asked a question at creation Research. Was Darwin a plagiarist? Uh,
2: historically, beyond a shadow of a doubt natural selection already existed it uh, it was Mm. utilized in farming and all of these sort of things you could select big legs short legs fat legs brown ones white ones you know any color you wanted and you selected artificially and people had noted that sort of selection already existed um in 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 the real world naturally if you look at the conflict between wallace's publications he's the guy who's responsible for dividing life above and below that Wallace line sort of through Indonesia. um What he said and what Darwin said were not all that different. And you know, there's a conflict because Darwin's friends are on record as advising him to get into publication before Wallace did. Right? Nothing new under the sun. Sadly, politics and science are like
4: that.
0: Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Let's have one final question then.
4: All right. I better make a good one, don't I? Um, do, 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 do. Here we go, so this one comes in from Hermano Pe- Pepe, I don't know, um, at Creation Research, question, if humans are descended from apes, would we and they all trace back to a mitochondrial Eve?
2: Well, one of my friends said, monkeys aren't that stupid, they never turn into people.
1: <laughs> that was Joe Taylor actually. <laughs> at uh, our, uh, when he came to Jurassic Ark and we had an open day and someone asked a question about uh, apes and uh, people and uh, evolution, which I answered. And then he asked if he could um, uh, say something about it. And he said, well, apes are actually smarter than people. If if you can live in a tree and just eat fruit and do what you like and lounge around without any governments to tell you what to do or take taxes from you, why would you want to evolve into people? Okay. Uh, but anyway go, going back to um if uh, uh, if uh, humans are descended from apes would they and all of us uh, go back to mitochondria leave um, apes have mitochondria in fact um uh, all all mammals have mitochondria so do fish and birds and, uh, and invertebrates in uh, uh, as well um they're, they're just little powerhouses inside your cells so um all multicellular animals um, and, and some uh, protozoa have them as well. Um, so as to whether you can trace them all back the to the, the concept of mitochondrial leave really was never actually used to um, uh, promote evolution it was meant to go back to explain, well, who was the first fully human person before that, whatever you believed about it, that that was another story. And uh, so they, they looked at um, the mitochondrial genome, which is not very many genes, about 37 I think, um, looked at the variation and they said, yes, we could account for all of these if all the women in the world were descended from one woman. Um, Now they stopped there. As to where you believe that one woman came from, that is a different story to the actual concept of a mitochondrial Eve or a the, the idea that all the women in the world
2: and in fact Diane wasn't it based on the fact mm-hmm. that you inherit mitochondria only from your mum
1: yeah yes that, that's where the eve comes in from that um, mitochondria are passed on fr- from mother to children both both males and females because the uh, the motor when uh, at conception where you have uh, a very big egg cell, which is full of mitochondria, and a sperm cell, which basically just contributes another nucleus, right? A package of DNA. The mitochondria come from your mother, so uh, mm-hmm. you you thank your mother for your mitochondria. So, therefore,
2: and, when God mm-hmm. took Eve out of Adam, he tweaked a bit because yes. you can't get it from Adam.
1: No, he <laughs> no, he. Uh, yeah the mitochondria were already there they were created god just had to do a bit of really clever genetic engineering
0: <laughs> great stuff um do we uh, i think we've gone through most of the questions how many questions have we got left in the uh from the stream sam
4: um we've got two more
0: Oh, okay. Only a couple more. Maybe we should try and finish up those last two. Are they particularly big ones? Where are they? Uh,
4: just one longish one and one shorter one.
0: Oh, uh, go on then. Let's go. Let's go for it. Dive in, Might as well finish up.
4: All right, then. This one comes in from Mr. Gates. How did the story of Darwinism find a foothold within the Victorian era values of nineteenth-century British society, as well as American and German ruling society? My if brain
0: with that question. <laughs> if I can just jump in on that very quickly. Number one, um, you'll find that the Victorian era values were hypocritical at best um and that actually gets sort of translated down into both american and, and, and german thinking if you want to know uh, the story of darwinism or the the kind of concept that we came to know as darwinism particularly sort of natural selection leading into evolution you have to go back to the french uh, and the time of the french revolution and you'll find all throughout history whether you trace it back to the ancient sumerians and babylonians or you go back to the french the whole thing is a rejection of truth and really a rejection of authority Okay, whether that authority be the king or whether that authority be God. So the French Revolutionaries are famous for wanting to chop off all of the, uh, you know, the aristocrats heads, right? The king's heads. And that's because you want to get rid of a monarchy. This is high Catholic France, so slightly different to sort of what's going on in Britain uh, a little bit earlier than the Victorian era and they're wanting to get rid of the monarchy. But of course, if you're in high Catholic France, you believe that God appoints the kings. That's a a biblical principle, right? Okay, if you challenge the king, you're challenging God. How do you get rid of the king? You get rid of God. Once you've got rid of God, you can chop the king's head off. You've got nobody you're accountable to, right? Okay, how do you get rid of God? easy. You borrow from the old Greek pagan philosophy that given enough time, slime can evolve into humans. If given enough time, slime can evolve into humans, there's no need for a god. Therefore, there isn't a god. Therefore, you chop the king's head off. And that's where you get philosophers like Voltaire, de Buffon, uh, de de Malay, who were really promoting a naturalistic kind of thinking. Uh, The idea that fossils are inorganic, the idea that given enough time, life Can arise from non-life spontaneous generation and so on and so forth and uh, those ideas of both deep time right millions of years and sort of a naturalistic sense of thinking filter down into england high victorian england through the scots people like James Hutton, people like Charles Lyell. Um, they influence people like Erasmus Darwin and Charles Darwin. And as a result, you end up with the publication of things like On the Origin of Species. So really, it stems from, a first and foremost, a rejection of truth. Secondly, a rejection of authority. Um, and it's a fascinating study going back down through, through history. But you'll find that the Victorian era values were as I said, hypocritical at best, really, they were, you know, Christians only in in thought, um, much like you get sort of nominal Christians today who go to church because it's the right thing to do. They don't actually believe any of it. And mm-hmm. uh, you'll find the reality is things like Queen Victoria would say things like, oh, she's on record saying things like, well, it's only the, it's only the poor who sin. Us uh, upper class kings and queens, we don't sin, All right? So uh, it's... Uh, Really, you're at a point in Victorian era England where people have already rejected the truth. They're just waiting for something to come along to replace it. That replacement is a naturalistic philosophy, which is not a new one by any stretch of the imagination. Um, John? Well, if you want to
2: see the hypocrisy, the thing that always struck me, even here in Australia, our our standards, I would say, were more Christian because we've been cut off from, you know, the French and everything else uh, in our Victorian Christianity uh, which was cultural so the standards at school where you won't take your pants down in public you know all of the urinals were all locked off so no one could view you or anything like this you didn't have nude statues anywhere except in public places okay <laughs> you did Victoriana so here's a totally naked woman on the outside of the insurance company a totally naked guy and you say what's that you know we're not allowed to do that ourselves and yet you have it on the buildings well, Queen Victoria and the others had a double standard beyond beyond belief almost. Visit Hampton Palace and look at the pornography all through the walls. I used to think National Geographic was pornographic because she had naked people in there. But they went way beyond that. So they believed, said they believed one thing, but they actually did another thing. And God despised Victorian England for its double standards, which produced so much conflict ultimately in the world today. But it also enabled the missionaries to be free. It's got got a a strange consequence. So in India, the missionaries would have been protected by the soldiers to um, preach the gospel. But the company only allowed you to preach where they wanted you to. So it came with sort of six of one half a dozen of the others. So yes, hypocrisy like you can't believe. So Queen Victoria would not bow the knee to Christ because she did not see herself as underneath the uh, authority of God.
0: Yeah, great stuff. All right, let's have one that final question, just so we say we've wrapped everything right. up, Sam. There we go. I have no idea what it is. What have we Here got? We
4: go. Jim P, what are your thoughts on the declaration of Aberath? Well, I've been um, there, but I didn't read it.
0: Now nah, it's um, more political than religious, I would say. It's sort of um, akin to henry VIII's reasonings for getting rid of the catholic church he didn't really get rid of the catholic church he just replaced himself he replaced the pope with himself um if i remember correctly it's got to do with rejecting um one of the popes uh but as far as i'm aware it's it's much more of a political statement than it is anything religious or theological but i would have to double check that but i'm I'm pretty sure that's what it is i've only been there and collected rocks
2: yeah um, so red really rocks. No, no content yeah that's lovely red rocks beyond a shadow of that and a lovely nice fossil out of one mm. end too but uh w- with any of these things let's get something important as a principle what men said about what god said is less important than what god says uh, about what men yeah. say right that's that's the issue here and you want to stick to it one last comment from me our new museum opening is sunday afternoon already booked out Uh, Again, if you've got spare fossils here in Australia and you don't want them, then we we know now exactly where they can go. Join our other two million uh, that Mm -hmm. are waiting for display and pray for us. Join us. Dino will be there. The whole team will be there. And uh, we'd encourage you to join the ministry. Put yourself on our Aussie mailing list and the whole mailing list. Thanks, Joe.
0: Yeah. Great stuff. Fantastic. Thanks very much, everybody. It's been f- brilliant. We've got a great uh, a chat and uh, yes. we've had a lot of people watching, which has been wonderful. Do keep your questions coming because like I say, we do one of these every few weeks. Next week, we're going to be dealing with the subject of Jesus as creator. Um, So that should be a a really good uh, program, more of a sort of a Bible study slash theological type of thing, but one that obviously links in very, very strongly with the work of creation research and everything else. So do join us for that next week and we'll get some more stuff up and scheduled this week as well. Um, Thanks all so much for uh, joining us. Sam, do you want to just remind everybody of the the, the twitchy stuff
4: yeah all right then uh go on then we are now on twitch and rumble uh, so please follow the links in the chat um to uh, go and uh, follow and subscribe or whatever it is on, on those platforms um it would really greatly help us out we need to get to f- at least five followers on rumble before we can live stream there so it all falls down to you guys so please do follow on that platform if you can um but yeah that's it, that's it from me and also a reminder as well that i'm doing the um the bible journey challenge we're reading through mm-hmm. the bible uh from start to finish from genesis to revelation in order uh, currently in leviticus if you want more information then please make sure you go to our youtube channel and go down to the third playlist f- uh from the top which is the uh the sort of overall uh sort of uh, story as to what the challenge is about and how you can take part
0: Yep, great stuff. Right. Well, it's time to go. Join us next week. Goodbye and God bless from all of us at Creation Research. And yes. uh yeah. We'll see you next time. See
3: you next week like that.
4: Yeah. yeah.